Now please, everyone, stand and turn to Psalm 20. We'll read together. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven when the saving might with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. Dear God, I thank you for your word and what it is speaking to us today. And I pray as I preach from it, I pray that I would be speaking your words and not mine, and that I would be communicating your will and not my own. And I pray that we would all leave this sanctuary um, having learned something and having grown closer to you through this. In your name, amen. Um, children can be dismissed for Route 316 in Junior Church. Um, I don't know, has everyone left? Or is it this week? I don't know. Okay. Um, it was on the schedule. Okay. Um, so as I was looking to figure out what passage to preach when I found out I'd be preaching this week. I spent some time thinking about this past year that we've seen here in the state and across America, and we've seen a lot of unrest, and it is the kind of thing that can divide a nation because it is the kind of unrest that comes from people who don't know where to find hope. But we as Christians can find hope, and that's what we see in this passage. We see hope for a future victory. And here on the 4th of July, we celebrate that hope of victory for America as it is the day which we declared our independence from England. In the same way that this passage declares the victory of, Lord to, of the Lord to us, therefore we must trust in him alone, for he alone is our hope and deliverance, both in this life and everlasting. Now some important things as we dive into Psalm 20 is that Psalm 20 is considered by scholars to be a royal psalm, and that it was written by David to promote what is an ideal king, and one that looks forward to the king that will reign forever. That is the messianic king. So we can look at this picture of what Israel hoped for in a king, and remember that we have that king in Jesus. And as well, in this passage, we see a chiastic structure. Now, a chiastic structure is one that is not a linear path, but one where the verses point to the central verse and then continue to point at that as it goes to the final verse of the passage. As you can see here, I pointed out three main points within it and how they reflect each other as they point to what the Lord would have his people see here. And that is that the Lord is the one who will provide victory for that and for that, he is worthy of praise. And in this psalm, at the end, we are presented with a contrast between the way of the world and the way of those faithful to God. The first of those are those who trust in the Lord and not 
or those who trust in human strength or resources, whereas the second is those who do not place their reliance in that, but trust in the Lord alone to deliver them for whatever times of trouble arise. And times of trouble will arise. And in that we enter our first point, intercession in times of trouble, which is verses 1 and 9. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. And then verse 9 says, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Now here we see that David is speaking as a way of what he hopes the people will pray for him in. It is the people praying to the Lord that he will answer the king when trouble arises. And in this, Calvin says, The object, therefore, which David had expressly in view was to extort all the children of God to cherish such a holy solitude about the kingdom of Christ as would stir them up to continual prayer on its behalf, that is, the king's behalf. And so here, it's important to recognize that David is calling the people to pray for him, but he is also calling the people to look to the name of the God of Jacob. And this is reminding the people that their name is Israel, the name that was given to Jacob in Genesis 32. When Jacob struggled with an angel, And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And so this God of Jacob is the same God who is the God of Israel. And this is what David is seeking to remind the people of. And this is where we see the grounds for um, David to call the people to look to the king and to desire for their king to represent their needs to God, as well as for the king being the image of, for the leadership of God to the people. It is from this point that David desires for the people to continue to look to the Lord as their protector in the day of trouble. This day of trouble for Israel is one that is assumed. In a simple reading of the Old Testament, you would see the continual continual persecution that the people were under. Whether it was the Philistines or the Canaanites, they continually faced hardship that they needed to look to the Lord in. So in this, they assumed that trouble would happen, and so they remember to look to the Lord in those times. And this is continued in the New Testament, when Jesus establishes his new covenant among the people. In John 16, he says to his disciples, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, And will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So here we see that Jesus' disciples and followers would face tribulation and persecution. Our life as Christians is not one that will be easy. We will face difficulties, but it is in those difficulties that we look to the Lord as the one who has overcome them already. And we cannot, as a church, assume that it will always be easy, but we know that troubles will come because Jesus himself promised it. And I think of when I went to college, and many of us have also gone to college. When going there, you do not enter college thinking you'll never be challenged in what you believe, in what you think, or in your ability to complete your lessons or your homework, but that At times, you are having to rely on the Lord and not on my own strength. Therefore, we look to this idea where when we face troubles, we look to the Lord. 
And so in this, we are able to have confidence that God will provide for us and that we are to intercede for those around us and intercede for our leaders. Because we as the church are now in the kingdom of Christ that was established at the cross. In addition to this, it is for our leaders that we should pray, whether it is our political leaders or for the pastors and elders here at this church. At times we do not know what they are going through, but we are to be praying for them that whatever arises, the Lord will provide and sustain them. And for political leaders, that they would see the hope that is in Jesus. And this path is possible through the faithfulness of God, which is point two, the faithfulness to the covenant, which is verses two through four and then six through eight. When we think about the structure that we see in the passage, it says, May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah, or there's a pause there, so we think about this and then go into four. It says, may he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. And then down to six, it says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Now, important here to this passage are two key points. Worship through trust and trust and transform desires. In the worship through trust, when we see these may he statements at the starts of these, it's continuing the people interceding for the king. And they're interceding at the point of the temple before they march out to battle. They're interceding that the Lord will answer them and that the Lord will see their worship. And that's important to recognize that these offerings and burnt sacrifices are not the sacrifices to gain the favor of God, but rather ones of worship in the victory that he will already provide to them. And this protects us from a dangerous way of thinking that Rob has talked about before, which is the debtor's ethic, where we feel that we can add or repay God for some part in our salvation, which we can add nothing to it. For it is the Lord alone who provides us that victory in salvation. So this idea is that we must avoid the debtor's ethic is continued in verses 6 through 8 when it's talking about how some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So David is saying, I can add nothing. No matter what chariots or horses I have, I can add nothing to this victory because it is the Lord who will provide it and nothing of my own strength. And this idea that we can add nothing to our salvation is one that protects us from debtor's ethic because we cannot feel that we will ever repay it. Rather, that stirs us up in us a worship to the Lord. And this idea that we should not have any other hope or trust is one that is spoken of in the laws of the king in Deuteronomy 17. It says, You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. So here we see how even before they had a king, God was preparing the people to have a king. And he is reminding them, do not look to what the world considers to be powerful for deliverance. 
Do not return to Egypt where they have horses and chariots, but instead trust and rely upon the Lord. In the same way, when we think about the debtor's ethic and that we cannot add anything to our salvation, we must not return to that thinking. We cannot return to thinking that we can repay or add anything to our salvation, but that we must fully trust in and rely upon the Lord. And then point two, or point B under point two, verses four and five, um, both speak of petitions and desires of the king. It says, may he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. And then at the end of verse five, it says, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now important here, like I said earlier, is that this is a royal psalm, which means they're speaking of an ideal king, one who is following after God, which indicates here that we can assume and hope that this is David speaking, who is spoken of as the one after God's own heart. So it is the one whose desires and um, petitions to the Lord would ones that would be following the will of God. And this is again supported in Deuteronomy 17, again in the law of the king, when we think about this ideal. It says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law, provided by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Now for the king at this time, if he were to copy the law, it would have been the extent of the revelation he had at the time. So he would have had the revelation of God with him day and night as he read and sought to follow the Lord. And in this, it would seep into his desires. He would desire for the will of God to be done here on earth. So whatever he asked of the Lord, it should be that that would be the same as the will of God. And this is thought of, too, in the idea that we as Christians have received the Holy Spirit, who is able to guide us and lead us as we go about our lives. And this is promised as early as the Old Testament in Ezekiel. He has promised that the Holy Spirit will come to us. It says, I will... And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute and be careful to obey my laws. So again, when we see this, we look forward to a time when Jesus would establish his new covenant at the cross and when we would be led and directed by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so our obedience through this is one that is protected from the debtor's ethic when we think about that our obedience is one that is stirred up through worship to the Lord. It is one that cannot repay his grace, but instead one that is falling on our knees in grateful worship and obedience to him. And I think of this when I think of Father's Day. When we think of Father's Day, kids give their dads gifts. I think of all the different things I've given my dad, whether it was a tie or Golden Grams, which was his favorite cereal we'd give to him. Um, those were things that we could never give that would repay the investment into our lives that he had given to us as his parent. But instead, it is one that is thankful for what he has provided to us. And in like manner, we as Christians are unable to repay the Lord. So, 
as a church, let us be immersed into the law of God and into his word that is so key to living life in Jesus that we might trust in him fully as we go ahead and press on towards towards the salvation he has promised because victory is in him. And point number three, inaugurated victory. Inaugurated victory is one that comes from the inaug from the idea of the inaugurated kingdom. It is the idea that Jesus established his kingdom on earth at the cross. His kingdom began then, but yet it will come into its fullest fulfillment at that final victory. And this, we enter the final verse of the sermon. It says, verse 5 says, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now in this passage, the people have not yet left for battle, but they have already had assurance of the Lord's victories. These banners from reading commentaries were considered to be banners of victory. Prior to the battle, they were already declaring the victory that would be won. And now they must walk out in faith and obedience to the Lord that he will provide victory for them. In like manner, Jesus won our victory over death at the cross. However, and in that we have victory over sin and death. However, we look forward to a time when there will be no more sin and death around us. And that will be when we experience his holy presence in eternity. Like in this passage, the fact that with God, Israel's banners were already won, we must therefore look and see what banners of victory we have in our own lives going ahead. Are we a people worshiping the Lord for the victory he has given us? And in that confidence. And we can have this confidence through knowing the character of God. The people of Israel yearly made a trek to Jerusalem where they would worship the Lord at festivals and know his providence for them. And as they were walking, this was hill country and it was a difficult walk and there were dangers on the road. But as they were walking, they looked to Jerusalem in the Temple Mount and they would sing psalms as they went. And this is one. In Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now the people repeated this psalm so that they would know the character of God and have confidence that he would bring them to Jerusalem safely. And in like manner, we need to have confidence in the Lord and think about his character and that he will bring us to the end of days in him. And like we read earlier in John 16, we can have hope even in the face of trial and hardship because Jesus has overcome. The trouble that Jesus promises will come to his disciples is not one to discourage them that they will face trouble and trial, but rather one that says, you will face these things, but I will be your deliverance in the end. And Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says something much the same. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Church, we can offer nothing for our salvation, but yet we surrender any hope we have here on earth that could give us confidence. But instead, our confidence and trust must be fully reliant on the Lord and the salvation he provides. Because the that we have, unlike Israel that saw victories in battle, the only victory we have and the victory that we look for in hope is the victory of Jesus that is possible. We do not look to the chariots or horses in our lives, whatever those may be, for victory, but we look to the Lord alone. Therefore, let us lay aside anything else besides the Lord that we are trusting in, whether it is money, family, church attendance, or the country that we live in, in order that we may live in full confidence in God, for our strength is in him and in nothing else. And we look forward to the day when he will return and establish his kingdom forever at the final victory. And in closing, in Revelation 21, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Jesus already conquered sin and death, and we look forward to the future when he will establish his forever kingdom, when there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, and that is only possible through Jesus. At the cross, he said, it is finished. And here we see it is done. And that is the day that we look forward to in victory. And that is the hope that we have that is only possible in Christ alone. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the victory that you have provided in your son, Jesus. And for the images here on earth that we see of it when we celebrate freedom here in this country. But we remember that the greatest freedom and the greatest victory that we can ever have is in you, and that we cannot find confidence in anything else, but that we must fully trust and rely in you alone for our salvation. I pray that in that we would stir up worship in our hearts, that you would cause us to go out and declare your name and the victory that you have already won to all those around us. In your name, amen.